Are you a person that worries, you know, maybe about your kids, maybe about your life, maybe about your finances? Do you just fret about things going on in the future? Well, we're going to talk about two ways to combat that worry and that fret and that anxiety, uh, biblical ways. And then also for today's Bad Doctrine of the Week, have you ever gotten so drunk that you forgot that you had a Rolls Royce? For multiple reasons, the answer for me is no. <laughs> Same here. Same here. <laughs> but we're going to talk all about that uh, and more today on Digging Deeper Podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to the Digging Deeper Podcast. Well, it might not be morning for them. It might be <laughs> afternoon for y'all. Whatever it is. Welcome to the Digging Deeper Podcast. Our uh, hope and our goal here is to dig into that week's sermon just a little bit more, so that way we might dig it a little bit deeper into our hearts and help us apply these things to our lives. We are glad that you all joined us. My name is Chris Brown, and I'm the associate pastor here. My name is Jacob Belding, and I'm the connections minister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm Judah. I'm the guy in the chair. All right. We pay him a lot of money to sit in that chair. Um, uh, dozens of free tokens to the gift shop. We have a gift shop? No, we don't. Oh. <laughs> anyway, excited. before we get going, Judah, I, I um, deemed Judah the the uh, person responsible over a certain thing, and we'll see if he remembers. Do you remember what that thing is? I do. Yeah, what is it? Make sure to like, subscribe, comment. Oh. There we go. All right, because I always forget, but I remember this time only to remind you, and so maybe that's the, the goal. Maybe that's leadership. Is leadership, <laughs> once you delegate something, then you can actually step up and do it? Uh, it sounds like it. I think delegation is a leadership skill. Yeah. Right? We even talked about that in staff meeting. Yeah. And so, <laughs> anyways, we are glad that you all joined us here today. Um, Pastor Lee uh, preached this past week, and he preached on fretting, uh, which, not the guitar fretting, um, not the... Uh, what, what did you think it was, Judah, when I said it? You said a th- threading, yeah, like like threading. Kn- knitting or sewing or whatever. No, fretting or worrying. And so the title of the sermon was um, "Learning Not to Fret." Uh, and the whole premise is exactly what it sounds like uh, in life. Uh, life gets crazy. Life gets busy. Life gets worrisome. And it's very easy to move into a state of um, worry about that thing and fretting about that thing. And so the goal is biblically, what does it say about that and how should we actually respond to that instead? Right. And so um, only two points. He's having a lot of two-point sermons. Maybe he realizes <laughs> he, he like preaches too long and he's like, just cut out a point. Right. Um, but we only got two points uh, on the sermon and um, on, on how to respond to fretting. And one is uh, to have hope, and two, oh, sorry, that's not it. One is to be still, and two is to have hope. And so, um, I actually like this topic, the topic of worry, fretting, anxiety, we were talking about a little bit beforehand. What's your general thoughts around worry in today's age? Yeah, oh man, Uh, we are worried people. Yeah. Uh, uh, We tend to be very, very uh, anxious uh, and, and worried about things that uh, are potential, uh, might potentially happen in the future, but we don't, at the same time, we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what worry and uh, what, you know, anxiety is, um, what fretting is uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so 
uh, just some some general thoughts, man. Uh, especially post COVID, there was a <laughs> huge spike in the number of yeah. people that were experiencing anxiety and um, people getting on anxiety medication. Uh, it, mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the more uh, popular uh, sort of drugs that gets prescribed to people. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of, uh, we tend to have a lot of anxiety, yeah. a lot of worry and, and fretting. You know, it's interesting. They did a study not too long ago, and they studied um, first world countries versus, I think they call them developing countries now. Uh, and the and they were comparing the anxiety levels between the two. And what you would think would be the case is that as um, – as uh, wealth and prosperity increases in a nation, then anxiety would decrease, right? You would think. Because cause usually when you think about worry and anxiety, it's all surrounded around necessities. And right. It's like, you know, you know, when Jesus talked about it, it's like, don't worry about the food you're going to eat. Yeah. Uh, don't worry about what you're going to wear, which that one may not be a necessity. But uh, maybe he was talking to us because like, I think my wife has a lot of anxiety on what to wear in the mornings. My wife does as well. <laughs> like sometimes... Uh, <laughs> Some, it's like, should I let's, say this or should I not? Let's both preface this with we love our wives. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'd never have it any other way. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Right. But yeah, there's like some mornings, like you know, she's she's gotten dressed and she, then she kind of, she's walking away from the mirror and then she kind of pauses, stops, looks back and it's like, I can't wear this today. I'm like, you look great. What are you talking about? Oh no, this, uh, this just doesn't work today and got to mm-hmm. do a complete wardrobe change. And One of my favorite ones. Um I hope my wife doesn't mind me sharing this. She'll come in and she'll ask me, hey, I have two options. Yeah, uh, which one do you like? And I'll say, I like this one. I think it's great. And then five minutes later, she'll come out wearing the other one. Oh, yeah. She'll tell you how you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you asked me. Right. <laughs> maybe, she's, maybe she doesn't. Maybe she knows I don't have style, and so she asks me to figure out which one she shouldn't wear. <laughs> smart move. She's a smart woman. <laughs> Deeply offended every time it happens. Um <laughs> Uh, Anyways, uh, so they did this study um, comparing the the two nations, and you would think that as a nation becomes more financially wealthy and stable, the less anxiety you'd have. But they actually found the opposite happened, that mm. the, the more wealth a nation had, actually the greater the anxiety levels happened, um, which I, I think one of the reasons which COVID is for sure, yeah. like, man, it's, we all had like a... A collective panic attack uh, yeah. in the nation uh, but, during that time, well, and I don't even know if it was you know really COVID itself, or if it was more of the the effects of like the lockdowns, yeah. the effects of the mask mandates, and all those other things, mm-hmm. um, and it, it especially hit you know younger people mm-hmm. way harder than than anybody else. Um, I mean, socially, you think about you know they have developing brains still, and. Uh, that sort of uh, isolation just was not good. Well, uh, yeah, you isolate and then you essentially say, "Don't trust anyone." Yeah, because they'll they'll infect you. Right? Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, and so so it's this weird thing as as we get more and more first world. We literally get more and more first world problems yes. uh, in the sense of we're adding anxieties onto our life that people who don't have that amount of wealth, which even if you're poor in this country, you're wealthy, you're wealthy yeah. on the global scale. Um, uh, so it's like as you add that wealth, you're actually not solving any problems. You're actually adding some more problems um, mm-hmm. to your life in terms of anxiety and worry. Um, and so I, th- I think, uh, you know, th- this is a great 
you know, a topic to talk about um, because yeah. uh, no matter who you are, you probably have some levels of worry. Oh, um, absolutely. In your life. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it's not like your, your worry has to be something that's like absolutely crippling for, for us to experience mm-hmm. anxiety. Like there's different levels, yeah, right? Yeah. Like way up here, like, yeah, you could have some things that have gone on uh, maybe in the past that inform the way that you kind of view the world. And yeah, that could lead to anxieties, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and anxieties that persist. Or it could be, oh my gosh, uh, I am, uh, I'm late to work this morning and I mm-hmm. have to like drive really fast to get there on time. Or, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. even like we have daily anxieties right, yeah. that even pop up in our lives. Yeah, there's a few uh, different levels. So, so on the topic of anxiety in general, um, there's a guy named Dr. John Deloney. That's a, um, a psychologist, uh, works with Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Um on uh, his stuff, and I like the way that he defines is that anxiety is a a um, like a fire alarm mm-hmm. in your life, and sometimes when fire alarms trigger, it's for a good reason. Right, is right. to tell you, hey, there's a fire. Right, you should probably get out and take care of this. Yeah, it's like if you're if you're out at. Uh, like a national park or something with your kids. No, we're just enjoying, you know, being out in nature. It's beautiful out here. And all of a sudden, like, a bear comes rushing at your child. That's probably yeah. a good reason. <laughs> that, that would be an anxiety would fill you and propel you to act. Right. And at that, that point, it's probably even fear more yeah. than anxiety. That, it's, yeah, it's that, like, this is happening right yeah. now. That, there's an alarm going off for a specific reason. Um, where it turns into an issue is where the alarm starts to sound and there's no real fire right. happening. Right. And, and that's where it moves into like yes. more fretting and worrying. And so that, that's probably a good thing to talk about like out the gate. Um, that whenever the Bible talks about anxiety, worry, um, fretting, it's more talking about that. It's not talking about, okay, you have a real reason to be anxious right, right. now. Um, like, like my daughter, I can't find my daughter and we were outside near a busy highway. Right. That's it's, a good reason to be It's afraid. a good <laughs> reason to be anxious yeah. in that moment and allow that, that anxiety to propel me to, to movement, mm-hmm. um, fretting and worrying and, um, a different level of anxiety, usually more um, uh, paralyzes you. Oh, yeah. yeah. To where you don't do anything. And so it actually starts to have the opposite effect. And so instead of hearing the fire alarm and and doing something about it, you hear the fire alarm and you just sit in it. Yeah. It's just going and going and going and going. And, and, and we'll talk about, you know, where that can lead. Mm-hmm. But the, the Bible is very anti-worry. Yes. <laughs> very anti-worry, very anti-anxiety in that sense, very anti-fretting. And that's sometimes a uh, a controversial statement yes. um, in in today's society because we've more framed anxiety as um, as a culture we framed anxiety as it's not your fault right like it's something inherent within you and there for sure can be like clinical cases of like an anxiety disorder yeah um, now whether those are you born with it or you've just allowed anxiety to go unchecked for so long in your life that it's now just a constant underneath right. you? And now you might have to go through some, some therapy and stuff to, to weed that down. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to, uh, you know, make the determinations of that. Generally speaking, we're probably not in that case. Like, no. like, like 95% of the people probably are not in a clinical anxiety disorder case. They're in the case where it's a temptation like anything yeah. else. We're all tempted to worry about things that we can't control. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so without further ado, let's actually get into the passage. Yes. Because um, actually, uh, I'm sure I've read this passage before, um, but 
not enough to remember it. So I actually, I, I found this passage interesting. Um, do, do you want to go ahead and read it? Yep. All right. The passage is Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Okay. So a lot about fretting, a um, lot about worrying, and basically you can go two ways with that fretting. Um, you can uh, lead down the path of fretting and worrying, which leads to evil. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's essentially effectively what defines the evil wicked doers. Mm-hmm. Or you could go down the path of being still before the Lord, trusting the Lord, having hope in the Lord. Lee gave some um, some definitions uh, of fretting, and um, I'm actually interested in the one that he gave for the uh, the Hebrew word. So, so he said the Hebrew word for fretting here um, literally means to kindle, to burn, to grow warm, which is actually a really interesting way to think about it. And he actually gave the the analogy of like charcoal, mm-hmm. um, which is why I use propane. <laughs> you, <laughs> were you, were you, you waiting know, for that? You know that I don't. I <laughs> yeah. use charcoal. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob is very much charcoal. And uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Charcoal is superior in taste. Like you can't, you can't be charcoal in yep. taste. However, I'm also lazy <laughs> and I don't have half an hour to wait for the charcoal to to actually kindle and warm up. Sounds like more impatience than lazy, yeah, just ab- saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I get It makes me impatient too sometimes. It's yeah. like, I want my poppers now, not right. in 30 minutes. But. Yeah. And so um, I just had to take my shot at, yeah, they, yeah. at charcoal. Nice. I'm talking about that. Um, but it's actually a really um, interesting way to think about that because fretting – it's something insignificant mm-hmm. and small. It's usually about something that hasn't even happened, as Mark Twain, uh, one of his famous quotes, is, I've had many tragedy in my life, most of which never happened. Yep. Because he just sits and frets and worries, and it's something that's, that's so minuscule, that's not even real, and then it grows into this like all-encompassing thing in your life, yep. um, which is literally where you know, panic attacks happen yeah. and things like that. Um, and so, so I think that's a good, a good kind of illustration of um, the 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 kindling and the growing warm is that you know left unchecked, yeah, it'll grow into something that you, that you can't control anymore. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I like, uh, yeah, I like the Hebrew word there, and uh, it really. Uh, anxiety and worry, fretting, re- really starts in the mind, and mm-hmm. uh, in, in our heads. And you know, if we we're thinking about something and, and we're we're worried about it, it very very easily uh, can take over uh, the emotional side uh, of who we are. Our um, and then so it moves from head really down to emotions, and then from there, with head and emotions sort of working against you, um, when it comes to anxiety, that causes you. Uh, that causes us uh, to behave in certain ways, to choose to do one thing or another, to choose mm-hmm. to do nothing at all. And so, uh, yeah, it just like uh, just like something burns, right? It it tends to to spread mm-hmm. uh, and and to grow into something like you said that can't. Uh, we have a hard time controlling and, and overcoming. Yeah, it's like a, when I preached uh, a couple weeks ago. 
um, talking about feeding the spirit or feeding the flesh. It's like what you feed will grow. Yep. Um, they actually, there's a proverb that talks about gossip in the same way that um, gossip is like adding wood to a fire. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, the, the more you feed something, the more you grow. And, and so Randy, um, she's actually talked about her having um, not like a clinical OCD, but having OCD tendencies. Yeah. And one of the things about OCD is like when you get, when you get a concept in your mind, you will drive yourself crazy until you resolve yeah. that concept. And so uh, the problem is um, typically in OCD is uh, you will get a concept in your mind that literally has no resolution. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's a, it's a what if scenario and you right. can't, you can't prove uh uh, positive or negative, a one if, what if scenario, mm-hmm. and so um, one of the the strategies to OCD thinking is to not even entertain the what if. Right. Um, if you try to logic at the what if, you're not going to win. Yeah. And you're actually going to um, you're going to um, reinforce that thinking because if you if you logic if you try to logic it away, you're just you're scratching the itch. Mm-hmm. And then it's just going to keep itching yeah. and keep itching. And it persists. I actually like helping people with OCD. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So um, our small group meets in the fellowship hall every other Sunday evening. And uh, one of the things that we do is uh, we'll set up a couple of tables and uh, to put well, – we have a food uh, first. And so um, I think it was the last time that we met. Uh, or maybe the time before I was, I, I was talking to, maybe it was um, Brandon or uh, Clint, one of those guys and said, you know, uh, these tables need to be set up, uh, but let's help the OCD people. So usually the two tables go right next to each other mm-hmm. to make one long one. And on the first table, I sort of shifted it over. And so <laughs> this table's like this and the other one's straight. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just stood back and watched. And it's like, let's just see what happens, right? We're helping mm-hmm. people overcome their OCD. And it wasn't 30 seconds later where I, I won't name it, but they came over and, <laughs> and fixed the table. And it's like, oh, well, so much for fixing or, or helping anybody fix their OCD yes. today. <laughs> Dude, I'd say I get OCD in like projects I do at home. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, one of the ones for me, I was building these built-in bookshelves Uh for um for next to our fireplace and i painted it but i used like a pure white paint and i didn't realize there were varying shades of white who would have thought who would have thought right (laughs) uh so i painted it this pure white and i put it in there and the moment man i spent so much time on this and i put it in there and the moment i put in there i realized this doesn't look good like it's too white like it's like like hurting my eyes because it's just popping out from Mm -hmm. everything else it needs like a softer white and man, I tell you, I spiraled. You can ask Randy. I spiraled pretty hard <laughs> that night. Um, uh, I just could not get it out of my mind. I was just fretting about like oh, all this time was wasted. It looks stupid. Like it's never going to look better. It's going to take so much work to get. And actually, I ended up leaving the house, driving. This is like eight p.m. Actually, driving to Lowe's and buying a new can of paint, um, and coming back and painting it that night because I was like, I just it's going to irritate you if you yeah, don't. Well, because it was it was a little bitty like spark mm-hmm. that I allowed to like kindle and grow and it just got really away from me mm. um, it but happens <laughs> he, he, here's a proverb um, 
that I remember reading it years ago, and I'm like, oh, man, if I could just get there. Um, so it's talking about those who, who follow sound wisdom and, and uh, discretion. It says this, Proverbs 3.24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be pleasant. And so it's like you can sit down and you can be okay in your thoughts instead of like the ones who are, who are fretting and worrying it, it's hard to slow down because the moment you slow down, your brain finally has time to think about all these things that you have to worry about, and you just go and go and go and go and go and go and go. And, and the Proverbs is saying, like, hey, if you have good discretion, if you have good wisdom, you'll be happy as a bird when you lay down. You're not, you're not going to be worried about anything. You're going to have pleasant sleep. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, here's another proverb. Mm-hmm. Uh, dealing with uh, with anxiety, Proverbs twelve twenty five, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It's like this idea of uh, like a burden, mm-hmm. right? Something that just sits on our shoulders and uh, is you know it just weighs on us, or it it even can crush us if we're not careful. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, I, I suppose we'll talk about. Uh, the rest of it uh, in in some of the upcoming points, mm-hmm. the upcoming point uh, that we have. Yep, yep. So off of that one, though, um, be that friend that brings a good word. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Be that person that comes in and says, "Hey, you're being stupid. Stop. <laughs> Stop worrying <laughs> Just about like this." That. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good uh, fix, friends. I should have thought of that. Like, stop it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> A good word of advice. Um, think about who your audience is before you say that. <laughs> right. If you say that to your wife, it probably will not end well. <laughs> no, it won't end well for you at all. Um, yes. Um, okay. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, so, so that's kind of like the premise of all this is like what is fretting, what is worrying, and now let's move into um, uh how does the Bible call us to respond to fret and to worry? And the first point is to be still, which comes straight from our passage, if you want to read that, that verse. Yep. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Yeah. So when it says be still before the Lord, what do you think that means? Um, I tend to think uh, more in terms of like physical Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll admit. Um, I think uh, I don't think that's really what it means necessarily. I think mm-hmm. there's an, a physical element to mm-hmm. it, but usually when I think of being still, it's like, man, we're moving a lot. We're we're running around doing all sorts of things, and be still is just when you're. Uh, I think of like sitting in my chair, like in a uh, when it's not outside, completely dark, everything's quiet. The kids are in bed, and it just everything is still. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I think. Of. Well, so yeah, I but. think it could have like a an element to that. Um, so like, so when it comes to like anxiety and worry, like we mentioned earlier, th- there's almost kind of two categories. There's categories. Okay, you're you're concerned about a situation in which you can affect change on. Right. So like your daughter's missing. You can affect change. You, you can go try to find her. Yeah. Right. Um, you have to write a paper tomorrow. Yes. You can affect change there. You can go mm-hmm. do it. And then there's things that like you have zero control over. Right. Right. And I think that's a lot what, what this is getting at here. Yeah. Is I agree. um, 
there's things you have no control over, but in your worrying and in, in, in your fretting, you've convinced yourself that if you just think about it enough, you can control it, right? Yeah. Like, like you can affect change on it. And so you can just be going, like either in a mental state, you can be going and going and going and going, or even in a physical state, you can be going and going and going, trying to rectify the situation. And I think that's where the physical element could come into play here, where it says, just stop. Yeah. Just be still for a yeah. second. And just recognize that you can't change this. Right. Right. And whenever you recognize you can't change this, then you turn to, okay, who can? Yes. And who does have control over this? Yeah, and right in the same vein, um, Luke 12, 25 and 26, uh, this is Jesus speaking about anxiety. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Mm-hmm. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Mm-hmm. And, there's man, it's striking because... First off, he says that adding a single hour to your life is something that's small, <laughs> and it's something that we can't even do. Mm-hmm. And then it, clearly, it's something that God can do mm-hmm. uh, if He wants to do that. Um, but right, why are we anxious about all of these other things? Right, mm-hmm. regardless of uh, of circumstances and regardless of you know whatever anxieties it is that we're having, sitting there worrying about it. Does us absolutely no yeah, it's good. not going to change anything. Right. It's just right. going to make the situation, or at least your experience in the situation, yeah. that much worse. Right. Right. Um, and uh, I love it in the passage when it says, "Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him." But and because that that like communicates, you can't do anything about it, but He can. Right. And He may be tarrying, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, or seemingly tarrying uh, to move. But you just have to wait. You mm-hmm. have to wait. Your, your timing's not his timing, and and what you want to happen may not be what he's planning on happening. And so, um, in this case, when it's talking about do not fret when men succeed in their ways, um, evil men. Yep. Or when they carry out their wicked schemes. Yeah, and uh, even in the the whole rest of the passage uh, that we read earlier, um, the uh, in verse nine of Psalm thirty seven, right? It, one of the reasons for not fretting. Uh, from refraining from anger and turning from wrath is that evil men will be cut off. So if, like in uh, in the case of Psalm 37, right, clearly there's uh, the wicked are being successful in whatever it is that they're doing. They are seemingly on the move. seems like we should be reacting against that, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, no, be still before mm-hmm. the Lord, patiently wait for him. And then those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. But mm-hmm. I guess uh, that's... That's going to be our second point. It might be getting ahead yeah. of ourselves a little bit. But if I was to pull this to today, um, and and Lee mentioned this, you know, the, the not the lockdowns, the the budget. What's it called? Oh, the uh, government shutdown. Yeah, government shutdown. That's it. Uh, not lockdown shutdown. Um, yeah, you just hear government shutdown, government shutdown, government shutdown. Which, by, by the way, I, I don't want to. Uh, diminish anyone that that their pay gets furloughed or whatever. I, I don't want to mention that at all because that would be awful if that happened to me. Um, but all of that that becomes back pay as oh, soon yeah. as they get. And so I've I've always kind of wondered why. Like, well, like what's the huge deal? I, I get it's a big deal. Um, in it's the sense, not. But uh, in the grand yeah. scheme of things, it's not. Right. Right. Um, I actually really love government shutdowns a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're wildly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, I mean, there's a personal element there mm-hmm. that's that's clearly not. But it's all political. Mm-hmm. It's 100 mm-hmm. percent yeah. politics. It's a. Yeah. We talked about it last it's week. A it's a game, 
And uh, sometimes it, I mean, shutdowns are an effective tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, well, we can, I we can get off yeah. and talk about that for an hour. But, but if we were to move into to the game aspect, um, you could imply a little bit of motive here and okay. kind of look at that as, okay, evil men are doing evil things here to try to win yep. and do what they want to do. Um, and so, so if we were to apply this passage, it'd be easy to like see that and be like, and then fret and worry about that. Like, like when, like, like we need to do something about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, like God, do something about this. And it may be one of those things where God is saying, just be still. You don't have any control about this. Wait patiently for me, for there's going to be a day that that I'm going to to uh, make right all wrongs. Right. Yeah. And um, and that's that is a big theme of the Psalms and even some of the Proverbs mm-hmm. is is um. It seems that the wicked is succeeding. Just wait. Yeah, like they may be seemingly succeeding in the here and now, but but either through the sow and reap principle or through God coming in and actively judging them, they'll get what's due. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, I thought about that. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts about the the be still? Yeah. So. Um, I think being still, uh, when I think of be still as well, uh, less for myself and more just, um, especially as a, as a dad, uh, I remember what my thought was, you you reminded me, but, but continue. Okay. So it's like, you know, when the kids are running around being like crazy, like, oh, you know, everybody's, Mm -hmm. uh, or everybody's trying to talk to me at once and I have something else that's also going on and it's like. Be still. Everybody, y'all just be still. Like, y'all are doing your thing, mm-hmm. and it's driving me – it's about to drive me crazy. I'm getting a little overstimulated here. Mm-hmm. You guys, be still. Like, y'all just have take you, a step back. Okay. And, have you ever had it um, where uh, you and Sam maybe having a more, uh, for lack of a better word, contentious conversation um, and, like, discussion on where y'all disagree, and that's when the kids oh, – yeah. Like, I don't know if they, like, recognize it and then, like, their their um, like energy levels just shoot through the roof, and so like you're trying to have this like really like hard conversation, mm-hmm. and at the same time the kids are just driving you insane. Oh, yeah, they're like climbing on you, yeah. and, like hanging on you, your your neck, and it's like, what are you like? We're talking. <laughs> Y'all go play. We'll be with you in a minute. Yes. We'll get to you. Wait your turn. Be still. Yeah, it's like almost like the kids can like feel it. Oh yeah, and it just like amps them up. Yeah, uh, they're like, oh, now's our opportunity. We've been wanting to ask about getting ice cream later. Yeah. like uh, they'll they'll say anything uh, yeah. to get us to leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, and so man, that's so, so in like a real life example. That's like you were saying, yeah. like a, an example of like like physically things are just swirling. Oh yeah, and you just need to stop. Uh, on a on an internal scenario, probably a very similar thing happens. Like you're just yes. you just tunnel and your brain's going and going and, and going. And yeah, you read my mind. That's yeah. exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. So God says, "Be still." Yeah, just stop. And this is where, um, you know, uh, I've never gotten into like meditation, and so I don't know what what all the the proper quote unquote meditation is. But I think um, I, th- I think it is probably a good thing to just sit. And so. So here's what I think people do sometimes. They'll have like a worry and they won't actually deal with that worry. They just like, I'm just not going to think about it. Yeah. And they'll just repress the worry. And like what works for me, and, and this doesn't work for everyone, but 
um, what works for me is if I feel like a low level anxiety sitting in my life, cause like I, I'll feel it. Like I'll just be sitting there and I'm like, I feel anxious. Why do I feel anxious? Like, like I'm not actively thinking about anything. And so I'll sit there and I'll have to like, just, just dive through it a little bit and figure out, okay, what's gnawing at me? What's gnawing at me? And I'll eventually land on it. And then I'll, I'll ask myself, okay, this is what I'm worried about. Can I do anything about this? If the answer is no, then I'm like, okay, I just can't do anything about this. So I'm just going to set it over here because mm-hmm. I, I can't do anything about it. And, and kind of like reorient my mind of you have no control over this. So don't worry about it. If I do have some level of control about it, then I ask, and this is, uh, by the way, a sneak peek of t- Sunday's sermon. Oh. Um, uh, if I do have some element of control over it, then I... Um, take the the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 and it's like, okay, does the level of control that I have over it have to do with tomorrow? If it has to do with tomorrow, I'm not going to worry about it. If I can't deal with it today, I'm I'm not going to worry about it. If I can deal with it today and there's like a low level anxiety surrounding that, then that's less worrying about it and more procrastinating. Yeah. And then maybe I need to go move on that to like get it out of my way. Anyways. um, So I think there is a level of like, being still before the Lord is like a a level of like meditation in the sense of like, okay, let, let's pull all my thoughts together and and the sort it out. What's God's and what is my responsibility? Mm-hmm. And then sorting those things out. And and if it's God's responsibility, then wait patiently yeah. for Him to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Any other things on be still? He went into a few other passages. Unless you uh, have something to mention on those. I'm excited to get to the next part. The, the hope? Yeah. All right. So that was point one, uh, to be still. The point two is to have hope. Now, you might be excited for the same reason that I'm excited about this one, because there's a part in this passage that he didn't really mention, and I'm like, that's interesting. Um, anyways, uh, uh, I'll, I'll save that. But do you want to read the passage and then uh, yes. get into it? Yeah, Psalm 37, 8, and 9. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the Lamb. So on this one, I think one of the, the keys here is uh, those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds awfully familiar, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like we have one of the Beatitudes that talks about about this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Um, and so, meekness, we've been going over the Sermon on the Mount in our men's Bible study, and uh, we really kind of did a dive into what meekness actually is, because mm-hmm. it's uh, it, like, that's a that's a tough English word for us. Like, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Does that just simply mean humble? It rhymes with weak, so <laughs> therefore it must mean weak. Right. Uh, that came up in Bible study. It's like, yeah. meek is not weak. And, uh, and so we went to uh, Numbers. By the way, all the guys that used to bully me in high school, I wasn't weak, I was meek. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, one of the, so one of the things, I think it was in Numbers 12, if I remember right, uh, it says that uh, Moses was the meekest man uh, on the earth or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, it's <laughs> Written by himself. Yes, Moses. <laughs> yeah. He is, uh, it's like that meme with uh, President Obama giving himself (laughs) uh, the presidential medal. It's like, yes, I am the meekest ever. But, um, 
And so if you take that, sort of rip it out of context, then it's kind of funny. It's like, mm-hmm. doesn't sound very meek, Moses, mm-hmm. for you to be writing that about yourself. Uh, but what was immediately happening before that is Miriam and Aaron, right? Moses' uh, brother and sister, they're grumbling against Moses. And they're like, hey, why do we, they're basically saying, why do we need Moses? Like, God's also talked to us as well. Like, basically, why is he uh, in the position that he's in? Why should we trust him and follow his Moses leadership? And it says immediately following that, that you know, Moses was uh, the meekest man. And so what happens is, uh, is really, really telling and, and really informs what meekness means. Moses doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't do anything, right? Instead, uh, God moves. And so what we see meekness really is is, uh, is not taking our own uh, vengeance or anything like that, but trusting in God and hoping in God that he will take care of all of the results. Mm-hmm. And God did take care of the results, right? Uh, Miriam uh, and Aaron were, uh, were punished uh, for that, for subverting, uh, in this case, the man that God chose to lead Israel. And uh, Moses even prays uh, on, uh, on Miriam's behalf, and, um, and God basically says, you know, she'll be fine. She'll live. Don't <laughs> worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's the, the one who's meek will inherit, will inherit the land, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a, a, a great uh, truth to remind ourselves that, like in that case, Moses, he very well could have said, hey, uh, how dare you guys talk? that way uh, about this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got like a mutiny, potential mutiny on his hands, but instead he just trusts God with it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he has reason to hope. Yeah, nice. Yeah, what I found interesting, um, there's two things I found interesting on this. Uh, one is the statement, do not fret, it leads only to evil. But this is all in the context of fretting about people who do evil. Right. Uh which I, I think can go two ways. Like one, that was their the origin of those guys mm-hmm. was the fretting. And so ironically, you fretting about the ones that are doing evil, you're putting yourself on the same path as those guys. Yeah. Um, and so, but on a, a more like milder scale, because assuming that our fretting wouldn't lead to us like going and like ravaging other people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully not. Yeah. Um, but on a more milder, milder scale, um, us fretting, best case scenario, we're sinning in the sense of we're trying to take control of what God is in control of. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and at worst, it leads us to actual action right. that will then actively hurt other people mm-hmm. and, and do whatever. Um, and so like in the case with Moses, maybe the best thing to do is just be still. Yep. Just sit back and know that the Lord has it under control. Yep. Now, an interesting thing um, is when you have fretting and worrying, it's about the future, mm-hmm. right? It's about things that haven't happened yet. Yes. Hope is also about the future Absolutely. and things that haven't happened yet. And so, so the interesting thing is that fretting and hoping both are aiming at the same thing, but going about it in two incredibly different ways. Yes. Uh, and I find that kind of profound, um, that if, if the issue 
is fretting about what's going to happen in the future, the solution isn't to necessarily be like, you know, that's stupid. Uh, don't ever think about it. Uh, the solution is to reorient how you think about the future mm. rather than think about the future as something that you have control over, rather reorient it to hope in the sense of God has control over it and you've placed your hope in him that he's going to bring about good yes. from it. Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, uh, one of the, probably one of the most instructive passages on, on having hope, uh, is, uh, is in the gospels where Jesus is, uh, he's experiencing worry. Um, in uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, he knows he's uh, so. The the scene is uh, he's already instituted the the Lord's Supper with the disciples. Uh, then they're going to go out uh, to the garden to pray. And uh, Jesus, if you remember, he's he is so uh, worried and distraught about what's about to come. Right, he's about to be arrested. And he knows he's going to be crucified. And he's even sweating uh, drops of blood. I mean, and he is in total anguish over mm-hmm. over this. And and so he asks, he asks uh, God the Father. He says, "Hey, if it's your will, take this this cup away from me." Right? He goes to God. Which, by the and, way, and sometimes asks. I get the same way when I have to watch my kids. Yeah, <laughs> take this cup away. <laughs> my wife's me. about to leave for like a ladies' night, <laughs> and I'm like. If there's any way, please take this cup away from me. <laughs> right, please. Okay. Um, yeah, and not, not, not to lighten yeah, yeah, what yeah. Jesus went through in that moment. Right, right. Because uh, man, talk about uh, all kinds. I mean, really, it's looking at the the full weight of of bearing our sin on the cross and mm-hmm. um, and God's wrath on that sin. And and so, but part of that prayer also, you know. Regardless, though, not my will be done, but your mm-hmm. will be done. And so there, right, he, he trusts God the Father. Mm-hmm. He puts all of his hope in the Father, and he, he's obedient, right? He yep. learned that obedience there. And, and even though, uh, I mean, and, and God did not save him from that, right? That's something that's, uh, that's worth mentioning, right? There's not always, like, a moment where, you know, we're, we're experiencing worry, fear, anxiety, fretting, and uh, it's not guaranteed that God will totally take those things away from us, right? Uh, he didn't for, for Christ, uh, and he was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at the results, though, right? Yeah, he went to the cross. Uh, he was crucified. Uh, he was killed, and uh, he was buried, but then he was raised again. And now he's, uh, he's, he's been glorified. And, and so Christ, as our model there, uh, really, really goes to show us that we can have that that hope, right? That, hey, in in the end, right, even if things don't turn out the way that we would very much like them to, uh, God is faithful. Uh, and mm-hmm. we can we can really put our hope uh, in that. Yeah. And I think Jesus gives us a great example there of how to deal with um, anxiety and uh, feelings of distraught. Uh, because, you know, if we go back to the, like the fire alarm mm-hmm. um, analogy of anxiety, like, I'm sure that's what was going on. And for good reason. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's about to get arrested, beaten, crucified. And all of that's mild compared to taking on the sins of the world. Yeah. Uh, the the fire alarm is going off because there was a fire. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, like you mentioned, he gives a perfect example of how to deal with that. Um, th- to acknowledge this is going on, but... 
And or, or if, if I was even go further, this is going on. This is what I want, but I hope in you and trust you that, that you are going to bring good about this. Mm-hmm. And if this is what you've called me to, this is where I'm going. That's right. Um, and, and that's kind of the theme of the whole New Testament, which is where uh, I just wonder where health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel guys get it from, because the whole theme of the New Testament isn't, um, oh, because I've placed my faith in you, everything's going to be great. The whole theme is because I've placed my faith in you. Now I'm going to actually, I'm, a, I'm awake, I'm awakened. I'm awakened to the struggles of the world, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to faithfully suffer through these. Yeah, that's right. Um, as as I'm being molded. Yeah, and that's yeah. Uh, that's the key, right? In this whole discussion on uh, on anxiety, is this have hope, um, right? So we take our anxieties uh, to God. We're we're still before Him. Sometimes when it comes to taking those things away, when we pray and ask God, sometimes the answer is no. So then the question is, how do we respond, right? Is it with further anxiety uh, that uh, weighs us down, uh, or is it with hope, uh, with trust that God knows what he's doing, that he works all things for the good of those who love him, uh, trust that he has a, a purpose mm-hmm. in those things, right? Um, we're not, like you said, we're not guaranteed uh, a life of ease and comfort, uh, of wealth, health, prosperity, those sorts of things. Be we're, great if we were. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Right? <laughs> the Apostle Paul's like, dude, what? Uh, but <laughs> where did I, I miss this? Where did I? Where did I go wrong? Right. <laughs> he right. just didn't have enough faith. Yeah, that's right. He, oh. he just have more faith. So a seed of faith. <laughs> um, but yeah, all that to say, it, it really at the end of the day boils down to how it is that we're going to respond to those circumstances and uh, the things that are that pop up, the anxieties that pop up in our lives, mm-hmm. hope yeah. or further fret and worry. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, do you have anything else? No, I, I thought that was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. If I might say so myself. Yeah. The sermon was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. Fun. Uh, yeah. I told you before, I literally just got done writing a paper on anxiety. And so yeah, right. I had a yeah. lot of this stuff ready to go uh, in my mind. So I love this topic. I think it's a great topic. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I, think the, I think our world gets a lot of it wrong um, on how to actually deal with uh, with anxiety. Um, not that I'm completely against medication, but that's generally the world solution. Just, just throw pills at it. Yeah. Um, and I'm not against that in certain situations. Uh, but there's also spiritual, physical and emotional elements to it that you need to deal with. Yeah, that's Um, right. That's right. And if, uh, if we, if you need the, the medication to help with the, the physical side, that doesn't give us a pass yeah. on on working on yeah. those uh, mental and spiritual elements of ourselves as well. Yeah, I always compare it to to any any kind of illness. Um, if I have some kind of illness that's causing me to have raging headaches every single day of my life, I can take Tylenol to help, but that's not going to fix the problem. It's right. just gonna it's gonna uh, mild the symptom. Right. Uh, and and the goal is to to just reduce the symptom just a little bit. So I can figure out what's going on and, and, and get get the issue solved. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing with anxiety, depression, or any kind of mental illness is if it gets to the point that you determine that you do need medication to help ease the symptoms of it, um, you know, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that right. as long as you're still trying to figure out, okay, what's the cause of this mm-hmm. and how can I work towards it? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well... That's the sermon from Sunday, uh, learning not to fret. We live in a world of um, worry and anxiety. 
and fretting about all sorts of different things, things we can't control, things we can't control. And what's the biblical response to that? It is to be still before the Lord, wait patiently on Him, and to have hope in the Lord, knowing that He will bring um, about His plan, and uh, which may not be our plan, but He'll bring about His plan, and ultimately uh, will restore everything and bring uh, good through everything. And our goal is to not uh, worry about the future, but to hope for the future and what God's going to do through it. Um, all right. Well, you know what it's time for? It's time to move into the bad doctrine of the week. It's the bad doctrine of the week. Okay. Bad doctrine of the week. Are you are you expecting me to bring one? I'm assuming. Because uh, last week we talked about yeah, that thing. About okay. It. You know what? Okay. So last week, if, if you weren't here, um, we talked all about... Uh, a guy that I knew from college made this post about how if you're a Republican, you're not Christian. And then I talked about how he made this follow-up post about all these um, more specific topics con- concerning um, the government and policy and politics and what's the Christian viewpoint and not. I'm very sad to say I went back and he deleted the oh, post. Oh, no. He deleted the post. I'm very sad. Um, you must have seen the podcast. Yeah, no, well, it was right after the podcast. I think oh, it was right. before the podcast even aired. Oh, right. um, I went back and I was like, I just want to go read this again. And it was gone. And I was so sad. Oh, man. So, unfortunately, we don't get to go through those. I, I don't remember enough specifics about it to go through it. Um, but I'll check into his Facebook every now and then and see if a yeah. new post like that comes up. Give us more material. And we're not even in 2024 yet. Right. And so oh, it's coming. So, we're going to have plenty of those to go through, but I do have another um, bad doctor of the week. Okay. Do y'all know Richard Harris? Dumbledore? Oh, yeah. He died this week, didn't he? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, well, this is appropriate. Then I guess I don't know. There we go. Anyways, um, Dumbledore, Richard Harris, there's this story about him. Um, And so uh, when... uh, Wait, pause. Is he the Dumbledore from the first Two movies or or the newer one? Oh, I didn't even know there was multiple ones. I'll Google it. Yeah. Richard Harris. Oh, Joshua's got it. Joshua. Judah. Oh <laughs> He's my not gosh. Joshua. Oh, my gosh. What did I do? That's okay. Uh, he died in October 25, 2002. Oh, okay. So, so he's, he's the, the old one. He's the older one. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other Dumbledore died this week. Man, Dumbledore week. Can't, can't keep it together, man. Oh, uh, maybe gone. Voldemort got to him. Actually, no. Who was it? It was um, it was Snape that killed him yeah. in the movie, right? Spoiler, spoiler. yes, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, we've actually been watching Harry Potter. Uh, oh, have y'all? Uh, through the things. Yeah, about every five years or so, Randy's like, "Let's watch it." Um, <laughs> anyways, R- Richard Harris, the original Dumbledore, who apparently died uh, a while ago. Uh, there's a story about him where he uh, was looking through old photos and he saw a photo of him standing next to a Rolls Royce. And he's like, that's weird. I don't own a Rolls Royce. Like, what's going on? And so he uh, contacted some ex-wives and some friends and trying to figure out, have I ever owned a Rolls Royce? And and everyone's like, no. And so eventually through through investigating, he found out that one day or one night in New York, there was a guy that actually gifted him a Rolls Royce, Uh, which, by the way, I want some friends. I want the kind of friends in my life that can gift me a Rolls Royce. Yeah. Sorry, Um, that's not me. uh, Yeah. Judah? Or Judah. (laughs) I'm working on it. You're working on it? Okay. Um, Anyway, so a guy gifted him a Rolls Royce one night in uh, New York, but he had a drinking problem. 
And so he was so drunk, he forgot completely oh about gosh. it. And so he actually traced it back to where he parked it in a in a parking garage in New York 20 years prior, and it was still there. Oh, my gosh. 20 years later. However, the parking garage was charging $400 per month for that Rolls Royce to be there. So he ended up having to pay like over $90,000 to get this Rolls Royce back 20 years later. Anyways... Bad doctor of the week. What's your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thought is if he sees a picture of himself standing next to a Rolls Royce and he's got to like call around, (laughs) have I ever owned one of these? Like, uh, it seems like if you own that particular sort of car or like a super car or whatever, that you would remember. Yeah, you would think. You would think. What kind of life do you have that you're calling around and be like, did I have this? Like, like that, uh, you say he called his ex-wives yeah. about it? Yeah. It's like, I know we haven't talked in a really <laughs> yeah. long time, but do you ever remember me having a Rolls Royce? And, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, wow. So, um, man, there's there's a lot in that story mm-hmm. uh, that we could talk about. I guess, how about drunkenness? We yeah. Just, let's roll with that. Because, yeah. um, man... Uh, there you go. It almost works like a, a metaphorical sort of a story, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're in, if you're living in in drunkenness, then like life very easily passes you by. Yeah, and if you're living in in so much drunkenness that you completely forget events happen, like getting a Rolls Royce, that's pretty bad. Which the yeah. Bible is um, uh, very much don't get drunk, right? Um, and there there of course varying levels of drunk. Yeah. Um, there's the, the legal limit, um, which is you're impaired, but your facilities are roughly intact um, uh, in terms of like, I don't think if anyone was at 0.08. I think they lowered the, the driving one to 0.07. Yeah. So if you're at 0.07, you're probably not going to black out. Right. You are impaired. Yes. But but then there's like all the way to the other end of you, you're blacked out oh, and, yeah. and you don't remember anything that's going on. And then even further, you know, alcohol poisoning, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So even at the, the impairment phase, I think the Bible would say, yeah, yeah. let's yeah. not do that. that. That's, that's not the point of alcohol is right. to ever um, remove your um, uh, faculties and to um, like, if you're drinking to forget or whatever, right. or like, I think the Bible would say that's, that's not a good way to approach alcohol right. and, and you shouldn't do that. Um, well, it's a, it's even a direct rival to the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we should get drunk in the spirit. No, <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. That that's is, a different bad doctrine is, for oh a different day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're about to open up a can of worms over here. Um, no, so um, Scripture says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine. That's debauchery. Mm-hmm. Be filled with the spirit mm-hmm. right? instead. And so Scripture put the, puts these in. Ne- next week we'll do getting drunk on the spirit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. Uh, that should be easy to find. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Scripture put puts these in, in competition with each other, mm-hmm. right? And so if we're if we're getting drunk with wine and the, the principle's the same, right? Beer, hard liquor, uh, even uh, recreational drugs uh, that impair us, right? The, the spirit doesn't uh, isn't going to be doing his work in us. Right, because right? one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. Self-control. Yep. And if you are um, impairing yourself, you're you're effectively losing self control. Yeah. Um, there's been times in my life 
uh, in my past where uh, I did not have a great relationship with alcohol. And um, I've been there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the more drinks you get in, the more you lose your filter Mm -hmm. and the more uh, you you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do. Right. Um, Which means you're losing elements of self-control. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, if, if one of the, if one of the, um, fruit that you, that you get from the spirit is self-control and then you're actively doing something to lose self-control, then it's becoming in direct opposition right. of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that does beg a, a question. How many alcoholic drinks is too many alcoholic <laughs> drinks, Chris? What are you drinking? <laughs> uh, probably be a good question. Um, so, uh, yeah, gosh, we're, we're going to open up a can of worms. Um, I don't think, I'm going to use the word think, um, I don't think that the Bible explicitly condemns alcohol. No, I don't, I yeah. don't think so either. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear a passage that says that, but I don't see the Bible explicitly condemn alcohol. I do see the Bible explicitly condemn drunkenness. Right. Um, now... Another thing to think about is alcohol today is completely different than alcohol back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, hard liquor wasn't really a thing. Like, what, what they would have considered hard liquor is, like, um, uncut wine. Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of the wine that they, they drank, it's been a while. Uh, I did a, a, a research project on this in college. Um, but a lot of the wine that they had back then uh, was really more for like sanitation reasons than anything. Um, Cause they would, uh, you know, they didn't have, you know, clean water. And so the alcohol would actually purify the water mm-hmm. and, and make it, you know, palatable to drink or, or at least help or okay to drink. And so um, they would actually have um, up to, I think one to 27 was like one of the highest mix ratios I saw uh, where is one part wine to 27% parts water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that'd be the highest, you know, water cut into it, you know, all the way down to half and half. And then what they would consider, you know, more like hard drinks. Uh, I can't remember what the Bible calls it, but they have actually have a name for it, like hard, hard alcohol or, or whatever they call it, um, was uncut wine. It was just pure wine. Now, what was the alcohol percentage of, we're getting real deep into the yeah. things here, uh, but what was the alcohol percentage of wine back then versus today? Today, I think it's what, 14 yeah, something uh, like something that. Something like that. Fourteen percent uh, alcohol. I've never been a wine drinker. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, back then was it fourteen percent or was it less? Uh, I haven't I haven't yeah. done the research on that. Judah, can you do some math for us? What would one part wine, twenty seven parts water, come out to be as far as alcohol percentage? One part wine. So one twenty seventh of. 14. Yeah. And I guess that would also assume that the one uh, part of the wine is, is like 14. 100%. Yeah. Right. right yeah. Or 14%. Or, it, or whatever. It, if the same alcoholic content levels. Yeah. The same. Um, 127th as a fraction. 127th of 14%. <laughs> That's a weird fraction. Yeah. 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5. So 0.5% alcohol. So we're getting into. Um, kombucha levels yeah, right um which isn't even it has alcohol in it but it's not considered alcohol drink right. because it's so low it's not gonna yeah. do anything um so that's probably and and that's probably where people get the, the argument of they're not drinking wine they're drinking grape juice yeah 0.5 uh, 0.5 is kombucha level oh, oh look at your wow. math man look at, look at you 
Um, uh, so if you see someone drinking kombucha, just call them alcoholic. <laughs> um, my wife drinks kombucha from time to time, but it's more it's more for um, dietary reasons. And um, there's like something in the kombucha that really helps like regulate uh, your your uh, digestive system and whatnot. Um, so hey, man. People back then were hipsters before it even <laughs> even happened. All that to say is there is some some differences between what was considered wine back then and what was considered wine now. But let's just say for argument's sake, let's call them one to one. So wine today is roughly fourteen percent. Beer is what six to eight percent. It depends. Yeah. yeah, unless you're in Oklahoma <laughs> and it's three two. <laughs> is it even lower? Oh yeah. Then you got like Mike's Hard Lemonade, which is like yeah, you know, on the bottom of the the scale. Then I'm I'm not sure. Uh, uh, Steltzers, is that what they call them? Seltzers. Seltzers. I don't know what what those fall in. No idea. But then you've got like hard liquor, which oh, yeah. is like whiskey, vodka. Those are like what upwards of like forty percent or something like that, uh, if not higher. Yeah. So, so all things are not even. And in right. in the question of how many drinks is too many drinks, a a glass of wine is way different than a shot of whiskey. Right. Um, and way different than, you know, a beer mm-hmm. or whatnot. Um, so so it's hard to say how many drinks are too many because then you even get into, like, like the the genetic biological makeup right. of that person. If you have a bigger person, they may have a higher tolerance level um, versus a smaller person has a lower tolerance level. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So there's no like cookie cutter answer of two drinks, boom, you're done. Right. Like two drink limit, and then you're cut well, off. I was thinking, uh, like if you're if you're drinking hard liquor, right? Mm-hmm. They usually measure drinks in a shot glass. You know, it's to kind of like yeah, like, balance like, it. Like that's one drink, just mm-hmm. like how the beer in the can is one. But drink. even then, so so then it would be like comparing like a cup of coffee to like a five hour energy, right? So so that's one of five hour energy's things. Like same caffeine levels, a cup of coffee. However, five hour energy, you're ingesting it in one drink right. versus right. coffee over the course of an hour or two. Um, might be the same thing depending on how you're drinking right. it. Right. You know, a beer you might drink it over the course of an hour versus you know shot of whiskey. Right. Boom, right you're, down you're done. the hatch, it's done, yeah. and all that affects your body differently. All that aside, the bigger question is why are you drinking? That's probably the 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 instead of getting to like. Um, the the practicalities of okay, where's the limit? Mm-hmm. Um, like like what's the threshold? Yeah, I the, noticed you uh, skillfully danced around my question. Right. Well, <laughs> so so it'd be like the question of like, okay, God says to Adam and uh, Eve, hey, don't eat from the fruit. Uh, don't eat the fruit from from the tree. In which they may ask the question, okay, well, how close can we get to the tree? Right, right. Well, you're asking the wrong question yeah. at that point. No, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. Um, the, the question shouldn't be how close can you get to the tree. The question should be, okay, if this is sin over here, what safeguards can I set up to make sure I don't, mm-hmm. don't get too far over? Does that mean don't drink at all? You know, that's between you um, uh, and, and like where, where you feel comfortable and, and what levels of control that you have. Because, again, I think you can drink without getting drunk. Um, but the question would be, Okay, um, if God calls this sin, and if this is a real temptation in my life, then the question shouldn't be, okay, how far, how close can I right, get to it? Right. The question should be, what safeguards can I put up around it to make sure I don't, don't yeah. get into that? Don't, uh, Bible says, don't give provision for the flesh. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, so there's some people that really can, you know, drink a glass of wine 
and it doesn't affect them at all. Oh, yeah. Um, they're not doing it for partying sake. They're not doing it for getting drunk sake. They're doing it because they enjoy wine. Because when you get into the wine world and even the beer world, man, you get into like aficionados. Oh, yeah. That, like, man, they are like, they're like getting drunk is not even on their mind. Right. What, what's on their mind is um, enjoying different ways that people make these these drinks. Um, so if that's you, you're probably in a different category <laughs> than, than the person who's like chugging like like 90 pound female it's real yeah. short uh like if she drank two beers it probably is going to affect her more than somebody like a man who's 250 like, pounds having two beers right is that well, what you're saying well no 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 even on the mindset level oh okay um, yeah. so like how you're even approaching yeah, the yeah. topic of alcohol is different than let's say like a like a frat guy at a party like you know down in a keg oh, yeah. <laughs> like his approach to alcohol is probably an unhealthy one absolutely it's yes. uh, I agree like, like like his approach to alcohol is probably going to be more like how can I party how well, can he's I gonna, going he's going to get drunk like, yeah that's right? why that's why you go to a kegger yeah, exactly Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's where like the motive is actually very important. Yeah. If, if your motive is, okay, how much can I drink until I get to that line? You might be approaching it wrong. But if your motive is, you know, something compl- like getting drunk isn't even on your radar. Um, it's more of like, how I just want to enjoy this one glass of wine. Um, then I don't think at that point, and I'm, I'm willing to hear an argument biblically. I don't think that that's an issue biblically right, as long right. as you're not getting drunk. Man, we're Baptist, uh, right? For, yeah. I'll say yeah. this. For the record, uh-huh. it doesn't usually take as many drinks as what you would think to start to start losing oh, your yeah, self-control. Absolutely. That's that's really kind of more what I was gotcha, getting Gotcha, I gotcha. I, I wasn't, you know, trying to, okay, where's the where's line? Where's the line? Where, how, how many drinks how can we have on this podcast? Right. No, no, that's, yeah. so that, no that's, <laughs> that's not what I was getting at. It was more of a it, uh, very, I mean, you have, uh, let's say, uh, I'm going to pick a number just mm-hmm. for fun. I mean, if you have two beers pretty quick, you start to feel it, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, if you have, uh, once you hit three, you're, you're losing self-control yeah. already at that point. You might not have totally lost self-control, but that's that's really, uh, it, it's not like, oh, man, man, you know, maybe I can get close with having five or six in mm-hmm. uh, two hours. Like, mm-hmm. no, you're over the line uh, yeah. at that point. So there's actually an interesting um, video on YouTube. Uh, I think it was the Try Guys. Uh, if y'all remember them, uh, they used to be really big. They would they essentially say, okay, we're going to go try this today and do it. And so they did this this study um, where they went out to like you know a social party and they were like, okay, you drink until you feel like you're drunk and then we're going to test you and, and see it. Or, or no, so no, it wasn't until drunk. You drink until you feel tipsy. So for those of you that don't know the lingo, you got sober. Drunk and tipsy is like in between. <laughs> tipsy driving is drunk driving. Yeah. So, so they they said okay, drink till you're tipsy, not drunk, and then we're actually going to test your levels and see do you have an accurate gauge on what's considered drunk and what's considered tipsy. Um, Ask an impaired person. Let's see if you can tell. Yeah. So they did it. I think every single one of them was over the legal limit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and they all were like, oh, my gosh, like I like I didn't realize yeah. that was that case. And so so that to your point, um, it doesn't take that many. It doesn't take much yeah. at all to actually start to impair yourself, um, which is, you know, a good question to ask. Again, going back to motives, a good question to ask is um, not necessarily is drinking wrong, but the question is, why am I drinking? Mm-hmm. And so for me, what I found 
in my old life of uh, in my st- of drinking, uh, I was largely drinking to forget, and that always led. 99% of the time that led to me drinking too much and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. And so what I effectively had to do is not ask the question of like, okay, can I dial, dial this down to where I can drink enough and not get drunk? But the question is like, okay, this is clearly like an unhealthy aspect of my life. So maybe the best thing for me is to not make a provision for the flesh in right. this moment and just, okay, let's just not drink at all yeah. because I've demonstrated I can't yeah. handle it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's uh, yeah. I mean, uh, and, and that's the problem. It's it's all about that provision, right? So, <clears throat> like, oh, if you do try to get as close to the line as you can, well, at that point when you're close enough to the line, you're impaired. Yeah. And so the self-control, like we talked about, goes out the window, and it's very easy. I just want one more. It'll mm-hmm. be great. And then two more later, three more later, it's like, oh, man, uh, that was a fail, mm-hmm. major fail. So. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, if you drink out there, you don't need me to tell you this. There's delayed effects oh, yeah. of it. And so you might drink too really quick. And you may not feel it for another 10 minutes. Yep. And so anyway. Yeah. Bet you didn't think we'd be talking about this on a Baptist podcast. Right. Here we go. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, uh, you know, especially for Baptists, I mean, mm-hmm. we literally have Welch's grape juice in the fridge for communion, yeah. you know. Um I wonder. I, I do wonder where that started versus using like wine, because other denominations so, actually use wine. Yeah, so, so I think they probably start? read First Corinthians, was it seven or six, when they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Oh, gotcha. you remember that? Yes. Um, I think Baptists maybe read that and they were like, <laughs> "Not us. No provision for the flesh right. here. Grape juice." <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and you know, and it might be like the way that we serve communion now. So uh, you even see it in other denominations where they have like one big chalice, right? That's full of wine. And I don't know, like what, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to conceptualize how, how it is that somebody could get drunk that way. So like you go like uh, Roman Catholics, for example, <laughs> right? They all drink from the, say, yeah, what are you going to do? Like just grab it from the, the priest that's yeah. there at the front and just, chug it like mm-hmm. it's a p- frat party like we were talking about like, well back then you know figure it out yeah you don't need me to tell you back then uh it wasn't quite as large and organized right and so i imagine you know because they just house churches oh yeah, yeah. And, and so i imagine they're um in the first corinthians yeah uh i imagine their their lord's supper was literally a supper probably because yeah. it said they also kind of gorged themselves yeah um, yeah, it wasn't, here's your tiny cracker, yeah. here's your little tiny... Yeah, it was probably literally, piece. we're going to sit down and break bread. Yeah, we're going to um, have a meal together. Yeah, yeah. and oh, in, in that case, now you're talking about hour, two hours maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'd be a lot easier. It'd be like, yeah, yeah pass, pass that communion one. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, and then you, you get into the logistics of, if we were to serve one... Now you got you know three hundred people you have to worry about. Um, some of those may be underage. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, some of those may be for their own personal convictions. Right, Don't drink abstain. wine, abstain from alcohol at all. Um, and and another thing to note on this um, is very much the the mindset of you're not just thinking about yourself and this, but you're thinking yeah. about those around yeah. you. I've had friends that their um, their uh, their dad was incredibly abusive because he was an alcoholic. Mm. And so because of that, he had such a distaste for alcohol and anyone that, that drank alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so that this would fall into, you know, where, where Paul would say, um, 
what what he say? He's like, um, uh, I, uh, I, I can do anything, but all, all, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. That's it. Um, where do I have a ability to drink? Sure. But is it beneficial not only to me, but to the people around right. me? And so, so that's where I should probably ask the question of, um, would me participating in this cause this person to stumble? And if that's the case, I probably shouldn't do it. Right. It's not worth it. Right. Um, th- there's things that are worth it. I would say that's not one of them. Um, now, if it's coffee, it's a different scenario. <laughs> different story. Different story. That's when let's have some Bible studies <laughs> and, and take a look. <laughs> but, right. yeah. Didn't Pastor Lee make a comment about your... Because you did a sermon that one time where you made coffee mm-hmm. uh, behind the pulpit there. And it, I don't even remember what the illustration was about. But then the next Sunday, Pastor Lee got up and... Uh, he made a comment about, you know, oh, yeah, coffee addictions are bad or, or something <laughs> like that. Or I don't remember that, but he has said that uh, multiple times, uh, and I'm offended every time. Um, <laughs> well, but like, as the Proverbs say, it's to man's glory to overlook an offense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so and I was going to bring up uh, when coffee first came to Europe, what mm-hmm. was common before that were ale houses and mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, wine houses and things like that, basically bars, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. And then when coffee's introduced, right? I mean, like, think of the effects of alcohol, right? It makes you, it's a depressant, right? It, it slows you down. Uh, you're not usually uh, as sharp. You don't have that self-control. And, and so if everybody's drinking all the time, like, look, pick Germany, for example, right? Like, lots of beer and, and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Well, when coffee gets introduced... Now, coffee has the opposite effect, mm-hmm. right? It's energizing. It, mm-hmm. uh, we, it does. It can help us to think. It wakes us up, and uh, coffee's awesome. Yeah. And so it was around about the time of the Reformation uh, that coffee's introduced. And so it's like, oh, wow, would you look at that? Uh, energized pastors can, like, change the world. There we go. So. Yeah. Uh, the coffee's a force of good. You know, honestly, that's why I think I enjoy coffee so much. Um is because whenever I did drink, actually, I, I really got to where I really did like beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. I enjoyed the taste of beer um, and the complexities of it. And whenever, you know, I decided, okay, this is this just isn't a beneficial thing in my life and cut it out. Um, I think that's when I started to really lean into coffee because coffee is very similar. Like, like to the average person, like it's bitter, it's gross. Yeah. Why would you drink that? But to those who have acquired the taste, um, there's complexities to it mm-hmm. and stuff like that and got real deep down the rabbit hole. So so I just replaced it. Yeah. <laughs> Drink coffee, not beer. Yeah, there you go. Um, anyways, <laughs> so um, the bad doctrine aspect of this <laughs> is um, have, a, have a, if you are going to have a relationship with alcohol, which sounds weird to say, um, have a healthy relationship um, that is... Um, that is not sin. Right. Uh, and obviously this guy did not have a healthy relationship um, with alcohol and things that you probably should ask yourself is why, why do I drink alcohol and is it even beneficial right. um, to myself and to others around me to drink alcohol? And I'm not going to answer that question for you. I'll let you uh, internally search your own soul. But anything else you got? Um, no, I think we pretty well covered it. Yep. Judah? Did you enjoy today's podcast? (laughs) If you did, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I didn't even have to remind him. 
He just did it all on his own. I like it. Judah coming in clutch. Yes. Not Joshua, Judah. Judah. coming in clutch. Yeah. <laughs> you only thought that y'all were friends. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, glad that y'all joined us here today. Let us know what you think uh, in the comments. We always enjoy reading those things. Um, but until next time, we'll see you later.